0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Solo BG Podcast number 96. So excited. We're reaching that episode number 100. And this one is a very special one like every other one. But I was really looking forward because in this episode, as you can read on the title, we're going to have a fantastic guest, which is David Turcy, And David Turcy that you will hear on the interview, that... He corrects me about his last name, and I'm sorry, you know, accent, I guess. Uh, It's a matter of accents, you know. But anyway, in this episode, we talk about a bunch of stuff, but mainly game design. Have you ever wondered how he does those, uh, you know, epic and fantastic games like Anachrony and all those, uh, you know, great solo mode for a lot of Euro games out there? Well, we talk about that. We talk about his collaborations we talk about his future projects. We actually did a top five list that you will listen on the episode. That doesn't necessarily mean you know the top five best games ever, as we've been doing with uh with all of our guests. But in this one, we did it a little bit different, and you will see why. Uh, but it's very interesting. This is definitely a podcast where if you are curious about you know his uh, life and about. His design background and all the work that he put into design, well, this is definitely an episode for you if this is if you are you know trying to design your own game, well, this is probably an episode for you as well because you can get some ideas uh you know it's a very once again very interesting episode. I dare to say that in the designing standpoint for all from all the interviews that we have made here for solo b g podcast, this is probably has been one of the most uh complex. And at the same time, uh, very uh, informative. So it was great. It was great. Uh, you know, I had a blast with David. We're looking forward to do it again. There's an, a particular game that he will be mentioning during the interview that is gonna come out very soon. And he, he says, you will hear it, that it's probably his uh, bigger, you know, and most challenging design so far. And he said that that game will blow everybody's mind. We talk about uh, thematic games. We talk about, uh, you know, Ameritrash and Euro games. We talk about his ways of work. Uh, So there you go. I hope you really enjoyed this episode once again, just as I did. And as we're reaching episode number 100, of course, I will try to bring you as well more interviews with designers, with publishers. And there's also, you know, (laughs) the fun thing is that you know, I've been getting a, a few of the review copies of different games, thanks to uh, the amazing publishers. But there are some episodes that are coming on as well. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna do them in, uh, you know, in between the weeks, in between the episodes, or I'm just gonna wait until we reach episode 100 and then talk about these games. But for example, uh, Destinies uh, by Lucky Dog Games is coming up. I already played the game a few times, and I'm gonna have the review for you very soon. Thunderstone Quest by AEG. They also send us a review copy of the game. And I'm looking forward to play with the solo and cooperative expansion to tell you all about it. Because that's a game that I know is not new. But when it come out on Gen Con, I think, about uh, two or three Gen ago, I was very excited to see it and demo it. And, and it's a big box with a bunch of cards deck Builder game. We will talk about that game very soon as well in a future episode. Also, block, uh, Ghostbusters Blackout from IDW is coming up uh, for our review. So stay tuned for that one anyway. We have a bunch of reviews coming up, but once again, we're trying to build to that episode number hundred, which is with amazing guests, where we talk about the hobby, life, and a bunch of stuff. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's many ways that you can do it. One, of course, is uh, giving us a like or following us, either on Facebook at Solo BG Podcast, Instagram, or Twitter. The same thing at Solo BG Podcast. Uh, every like, every follow helps a lot, and it really helps me to keep, you know keeping track some so in a some way of the interaction that I can have with all of you amazing listeners like if you listen to the previous episode uh with Jason Perez Shelf stories fantastic episode we talk about that about how sometimes uh when we do podcast we have that lack of interaction per se with with you know with with you in this case amazing listener just because versus a youtube uh channel there's no way here where you can tap your comments and you know, and kind of like interact. So, the way I do it is asking you kindly to, you know, follow us in any social media that you prefer, in that way, I can be in touch with you, or you can shoot an email at solobgpodcast at solobgpodcastgmail.com. I'm very active there as well, so I can reach out to you. You can reach out to me, we can make it happen. Uh, and the other way is that you can get some cool games for you, of course, with our sponsor, KickstartedGames.com. That's Kickstarted with EDGames.com. And you're going to get free shipping if you're in the U.S. and you spend $100 or more. Also, if you use the code uh, SOLOBG, all together, SOLOBG, you get 15% off from your total purchase. That's right one five, fifteen 1-5, 15% off from your total purchase if you use the code SOLOBG. And with that being said, well, let's start with episode 96. Like I said, 96. Can you believe it? With David Turksy, and we talk about a bunch of stuff, but mainly, mainly, of course, solo gaming. So let's start, like always, in three, two, one.
1: Welcome to Solo BG. Your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez.
0: Are you looking for that Kickstarter game that you missed during the Kickstarter campaign? Are you looking for that awesome and mythic expansion for one of your favorite board games? Are you sad because you didn't got the Kickstarter version of that game? Or perhaps you are like me and like to get a game with Kickstarter exclusive components and stretch goals? Well, don't look any further and go right now to kickstartergames.com. There you will find Kickstarter board games, expansions, Kickstarter exclusive content, graphic novels, RPG novels, toys and collectibles and much more. Kickstarter Games is my favorite site to go and get those amazing games that I want to have on my gaming collection. Plus, they offer free shipping in the U.S. when you spend $99 or more. And if that wasn't enough, right now you can get a 15% off if you use the code SOLOBG. That's right, use the code SOLOBG altogether. And obtain 15% off from your total purchase. So go right now and check it out while you listen to this episode. Once again, com And enjoy all those amazing games. Alrighty, my friends. Like I told you on the introduction, I'm here with my good friend, David Tercy, Of course, you know his work. He's probably on the solo atmosphere the most famous designer out there we all like the solo mode from david tersey we're always trying to catch of the upcoming kickstarters that are coming out that have the name david tersey on there so here he is with us david good morning good evening good night tell us where you are and what time is it because it seems like a little bit darkish over there
1: (laughs) hello and good evening to you too yeah Uh, i'm i I live in the netherlands okay and it's right about midnight here so had a Compared to my usual days, a fairly relaxed day today. But I don't want to get back into the bad habit of working until four a.m. because that <laughs> almost killed me last week. So uh-huh. hopefully, hopefully I get to bed today in time.
0: Nice, nice Netherlands. I, you know, I have never been in Netherlands, but, but, but has always been on my on my bucket list for many reasons that I won't share here on the, on the podcast. But uh, it's also I have, I mean, everything that I see and I hear from Netherlands. Actually, one of my good friends was just there. It seems like it's a beautiful and amazing country now. Are, oh, yes. Are you, are,
1: from, are
0: you from there or you just moved there no, or what's the I'm, story? I'm,
1: I'm from Hungary. Okay. And I lived the past seven or eight years up until last year in the UK. And I moved to the Netherlands early 2020, like mm-hmm. just after Brexit, just before COVID. Wow. So I left the sinking ship yeah. and now here I am and, and life is good.
0: It's good. How is everything over there, by the way, with the with COVID situations and stuff, right? At this moment? I mean,
1: like it was never that super bad here. Okay. Which means that now that things are getting better, they're getting better a lot slower than everywhere else, because sure. everywhere else it was super bad, so they had to quickly vaccinate everyone. Whereas here we were like I don't know. Like I'm telling people that I don't even know which convention I can go first because <laughs> things are like nobody's in a rush here. But again the country is beautiful the uh, like the weather is brilliant the people are both helpful speak perfect english mm-hmm. better than the ones in the uk did yeah uh, <laughs> so yeah it's I, I love it here it's 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 great and yesterday was the first time in over a year i went to cinema so i'm oh, like nice. uh, i'm as happy as i can be
0: which movie do you watch
1: um uh, uh, the Judas and the Black Messiah. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good movie. <laughs> Real life events. Yes. Very, yeah. very, you know, d- 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 deep impression.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a strong movie. I watched it probably like, a, it was on a streaming service here in the US probably like oh. uh, three months ago. Uh, okay. Two, and I watched it and I remember, you know, it, it's one one of those movies that it uh, it touched certain like subjects that are usually hard to talk about. Yeah. And, and, and it makes you think, right? It makes you think and, and probably have a different per, uh, perception that we didn't have before on certain topics. But anyway, today to that. Oh, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The,
1: the, this, this past year or so, the, including in the board game community, it's yeah. all been about learning yeah. and understanding more. So mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the movie choice tied right into that.
0: <laughs> For sure. But anyway... Today, this evening, this morning, depending on where you're listening, amazing listeners, and uh, what time it is, we're gonna talk about games because that's where we are here. Talk about fun. Talk about David, of course. I'm pretty sure you know David is very active in all the social media. I I love it. You know that's great because he he has, he always is worried. It seems like you worried David all the time for interaction with the with the players, which is always great, even for clarifying rules and stuff. So,
1: I mean, I wasn't. Ultra nerd long before I was anyone, yeah. uh, and and I am addicted to all forms of talking to people. <laughs> so <laughs> now that they actually care what I have to say, and I they feel like I help them, that's just added bonus at that point. No,
0: and, and believe me, I mean I know. Including me as a player uh, and as a constant player of solo games, of course, uh, I, I do care for for all you have to say. In you know, either it has to be with news, either it has to be with updating rules, either it has to be with projects, or even sometimes when you share personal life. That I think that's very cool because it helps to to ground. You know, for that, uh, you know, uh, I guess, bridge to to grow. Uh, so that's that's great. And David, I the... mean,
1: my, my my only problem is that my personal life is still board games. So it's like it's <laughs> great. Like I have to practice how to do normal human stuff sometimes. <laughs> so it's it's easy for me to share whatever on the on socials because whatever is still board games.
0: Hey, but you went to a movie theater today, so that was great.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> I did not share, but <laughs> I should have.
0: <laughs> you should have tweeted or, or Facebook or something. And anyway, uh, my friends, you—if you have listened to the previous episodes that we're reaching episode number hundred—every uh, time that a guest it comes to the show, we do a top five list of their favorite games. Now, of course, here with David, we're gonna we're gonna spice things up a little bit, and we want to make it a little bit challenging for David. Uh, so man. we're gonna have his top five uh, most challenging designs on solo modes. Of course, now we're gonna share some secrets that probably uh, David already has shared. Uh, in other places, but we're gonna share it here for Solo BG podcast. Yes,
1: it's it's the I always pretend that it's a secret, but I like not not proudly, but like it's mm-hmm. it's a fact of life. I don't actually play solo modes like almost ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brain just buzzes around those things, seven different speeds, mm-hmm. and my primary form of thinking something through is to talk <laughs> at, with somebody. Yeah, and when I play. Anything solo, and that's one of the reasons why I barely play any video games anymore. Mm-hmm. Is that anything that I have to like think, sure, and 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 have thoughts and strategies and ideas I, I want to talk about, and then I jump to the next one, and then I jump. To... <laughs> so last time when I had to absolutely had to run through a few rounds of one of my bots, halfway through my third turn, I noticed that I just resolved the bot's fourth turn, my fifth. In the middle of the bot's third, <laughs> I was like, where was I?" And it's, it's not just that I forget it, but yeah. it's like operating on different. So it's like I can't. So so if I if I have to do solo playtesting, luckily these days I don't have to do that because I have an amazing team mm-hmm. of the, the. Initially, they were volunteer developer uh, volunteer playtesters, but okay. now they've been trained up to be. Developers, okay. uh, uh, Nick Shaw, John Alberts, and Zavi Bordes, and and uh, David Digby. He, he was a professional solo designer long before he joined my team. But
0: uh-huh.
1: it's good to have all the talent aboard. So uh, these guys play my solo games and report back, and 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 I ask, what's the problem? What's what's the friction? Where, where the, this is the stuff I like in the multiplayer game? Do you see it in the solo game? Yeah. W- where was it weird when did the bot do something that made you think what? Mm-hmm. So So for me solo game design is almost pure theory simply because I believe in start a good game and with a good game and don't make it worse. Okay. And my problem is that mo that like when when somebody says good game then there are many reasons somebody can like a game, right? And yeah. I often say things that sound like arrogantly true, mm-hmm. but but I always mean, when I say good, I mean good by my standards. Sure, so not yeah. Anyone can have fun with something that I categorize as bad. That doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. But, so a game can be, again, a heavy strategic game, not talking about party games, whatnot. Sure. So a game can be fun for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, high stress, high player interaction, high good theme good immersion yes. but i try to work with structurally structurally interesting games okay. that is every choice how big how small that the game offers to you mm-hmm. needs to lead into an interesting fork in your brain sure. so not so so the fun comes from the fact that you can't not make interesting choices because <laughs> everything the game and and those games should have some interaction. The, the choices I make should be affected based on what choices you make. And and if they don't, then I'm bored on your turn, unless it's simultaneous. Yeah, there's an exception to everyone. Sure. And I say that if we start from a structurally interesting solo uh, multiplayer game and check every decision point that a player makes in that multiplayer game, some of it will be just your own, build your little, whatever, Mm -hmm. run it, those are okay. And some of it will be influenced by so-called external states. Yeah. How many resources does the other player have? How many cards does he have left in his deck? Which action did he take most recently? Et cetera, et cetera. And I asked myself, does the solo mode reflect this choice?
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: And like, there is no exact science how many of these choices can I lose? Sure. But as long as the solo mode gives back most of the choices of the solo mode, because the game was structurally interesting and not fun to play with my friends, but mm-hmm. fundamentally every decision I made was interesting, therefore the solo mode, which will ask you to make the same decisions, will be not less interesting. And and I, there is no genius idea to it. This is just like, is this game less fun than the big one? Repeat. And <laughs> I think previously, like, the good simple solo modes are always diminishing because they cut more and more and more and more. And I try to make them simple as much as I can, not always succeeding. <laughs> yeah. But for me, it's first find every decision point. And then if it's too complicated, cut the least important one. Is it still too complicated? Cut the next. And, <laughs> and on. So if there's any way to make it a good solo mode, this method will promise it. Whereas, you know, beat your own score solo modes and score 82 points in 14 rounds, those are like not structurally interesting. Those are like, you might get an interesting choice during the game, you might not. You might have a chance, you might not. I, I want to work with... Fundamental choices, mm-hmm. and then reflect them in the solos.
0: Yeah, and, and it makes sense what you're saying because I particularly have said in the past uh, when we do a uh, review and we talk about we will talk about many many other things that you were mentioning. Uh, when we do a review here on the podcast, I tend to say that when a game has a solo mode, that it's usually beat your own score. For some reason, as at least for me, right as a gamer, especially as a solo gamer, uh, it doesn't seem very interesting. Because why? Because when I play solo. I try to be as immersed as I can on the game. And of course, that can come from the theme. That should come from the mechanics. And then external facts. Like in my weird case, you know, I put music that it sounds kind of appealing to the theme. I try to be, you know, just by myself on the game room and stuff or in the or in the room that I'm playing. So when you have a beat your own sp- score, for me, it's more like a training rather than actually you know, getting letting myself go into an immersive adventure of a game. Regardless if, it, regardless if it's an Ameritrash game, like they call, or a Euro game. That's regardless. It's just the beat-your-own-score. For some reason, to me personally, to Derek as a gamer, it doesn't feel something that, you know, like I really am looking forward to do it. I like to do it in some games if the game is fun and I know I'm going to play it in GameNet with my group and I kind of want to try different strategies. But other than that, as a particularly solo experience, adventure, you name it, it doesn't sound too too appealing, at least to me. But David, we have a to, lot to, to talk about. To
1: me, uh-huh. uh, I just on a quick example of this sure. that I once managed to prove what mm-hmm. you just said. Uh, Snowdonia. Yeah. Snowdonia has been out for, what, a decade or so? Mm-hmm. And it always had a slightly smarter than your average beat-your-own-score solo mode. Yeah. It was just, get this many points, but because of the event cube system in the game, it was, it was smarter than average. It wasn't take eight actions and then count your points. Exactly. And when uh, the Portland Dice did the, the Deluxe Master Set, and I work for Portland Dice occasionally, sure. and they, and I asked, hey, should I do a solo mode fit? And they said, nah, the game already has a solo mode. I'm like, no, the game has a training mode. Yeah, you right. want, and is actually playing the game because in Snowdonia, the question isn't, do I want to buy a rail or not? Because of course you do. The question is, when? And what does that depend on? What are the others doing?
0: Yeah. You're completely...
1: And and first I created a super complicated, super (laughs) flowchart, super random bot. We tried it out, went, nah, the game has flow. Yeah. Take this action, then take this or that action, then take this action, then take this or that action. And when you draw that on a line, it looks like a railroad. Yeah. Boom. The the bot Dell has been born to Tony's great amusement. Yeah, and and that's exactly this theory that you're saying that a beat your own score game is can be fun. I'm not saying it's not fun. I'm saying nothing in it guarantees that it's fun. Yeah. Whereas if you take a game that works and give it back in full, then it will.
0: Yeah, you're completely right. And sometimes just before we jump into your number five uh, of the games, uh, you know, it's like, and I see it very often in games. And of course, we will talk about how people review games in a little bit, but. For me, when I see like, okay, this is a bit your own score, but they they name it like, okay, if you did this score, well, you're a peasant. If you did this score, you're a villager. If you did this score, you're a lord. And so on. for me, it's like, it's just a, you know, easier way. I don't want to say lazy, but yeah, lazier way to do things instead of, okay, let me try to work in, in a depth solo mode. Like you're saying, kind of like, are you not know, making an artificial intelligence but, of how you but. do it?
1: You don't even have to make a compromise. Some people actually like those challenge levels, mm-hmm. and but, and they're afraid of a full opponent. Yeah, and that's and and because Vitala Serda, friend of mine, ingenious game designer, but he's been putting challenge plus a semi-random blocker mm-hmm. into his games as solo modes, yeah. and sometimes they like work ish. Mm-hmm. and sometimes they are like clearly weaker than the multiplayer game yeah. so his games are easily three of them are in my top 10 euro games definitely
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and I ask my solo tester crew saying guys how do this compare to mm-hmm. the stuff I normally do and, and the, 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 the testers that have played the game in multiplayer say yeah it's a great game uh, yeah the solo is okay and uh and the ones that never played the game multiplayer are like, what do you like about it? Yeah. So and, mm-hmm. and and thus when Camp and Eevee came, yeah, and and I created my usual layout three cards, roll a die, pick one. Yeah. And, and then Vital said, I don't want to die and I want victory challenges at the end. Mm, okay. I was like, okay. So yes, you're gonna have a score that you need to meet challenge levels. But there's still gonna be an interactive opponent that's stopping you from gaining, in fact, losing you points. Yeah, and that's nice. And and, and thus the idea of before that every single uh, automap done was always you get a score, the bot gets a score, and you have to beat that score. Yeah. But if in some games you don't like point scoring, isn't always an interaction.
0: Yeah. That's right.
1: Which means that if point scoring is not an interaction, like in anachrony, point scoring is an interaction, then mm-hmm. it's easy. Yeah. But in Telety Welcome, point scoring is not an interaction, mm-hmm. which means that how high the bots, well, a little bit on the temple, but mostly it isn't. Mm-hmm. So, how high the bot score is that you yeah. need to jump is essentially random. And, and Kamani, we had the same problem that if I was just randomly determining a target for you to beat and say, beat 10 above it to have an extra qualification or whatever, that would not give back the true stress of the game. Yeah. So, which is why on games like this that are super interactive on the action selection, but not interactive on the scoring, these days I tend to utilize and think more and more in you have a score that is slowly being pulled back and you have to get it to somewhere at the end of the game. And that looks like a beat your own score, but it's not because there's still an opponent. It's just yeah. not, a, not a, um, who runs faster than the other. It's the, can, I run, can you run that far before I drag you back? Yeah. And Kanban was especially perfect for it because most of your scoring in Kanban is late game. Mm-hmm. But the first, first few time players who leave all their scoring for long, late game tend to lose in multiplayer. Okay. So how do I did that in solo? I said, okay, most of the scoring is at late game, but the bots are continuously scoring points as the game goes, which is reducing your score. And if your score reaches zero, you lose. (laughs) So you still want to leave your big score at the end, but you need to score something during the game. (laughs) And that for completely different reasons, but psychologically and strategically, completely gives you back... The feeling of the multiplayer game, and 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 to me, that's that's the grail.
0: And I think that's one of the most important things when we go into, especially solo modes, uh, because actually on the podcast, uh, usually at the end after I do a, a, an episode about a particular game, I always ask myself the question: Do I rather play this game solo or competitive? If it's the case, and also if this is a must-have for a solo player, and that's where the where the click is, in my opinion, where as you were mentioning even if it's you beat your own score, but if it simulates another player there, if, it's, if it push you through that challenge or that area where you actually have to make decisions because the other player, per se, in this care with the solo mode can do different things, that's when it really matters and when it kind of really, you know, push you through, okay, this is a game that, in my opinion, a solo gamer should have in their collection because you're going to get this experience versus, once again, uh, like I mentioned have before, yet, like a trainer. They
1: if they were to like the base game, because let's not forget that I pick my games very specifically along things that I think are uh, structurally interesting to me. Yeah. Therefore, like, at least you have to be like predisposed towards the heavier games in yeah. order to be willing to get a heavier bot. Yeah. And sometimes I get the balance right and sometimes I get the balance right, but it's so heavy yeah. that it's just too much on amplitude.
0: Hey, but sometimes we want the challenge. David, let's start with your top uh with your list. Your your number five. The most challenging from the number five to number one, which of course number one will be the the king of the challenges, you know, the 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 supremacy of the most challenged nah. design for you <laughs> but let's start with number five
1: i mean i i wrote down five the solo most that i remember as being specifically challenging yeah and i'm sure if i thought more about that i would find a few more but it's it's not really a, a five to one kind of thing because okay. because me and my tester team believe and learn it's mm-hmm. Cerebria, the first game on my list, okay. which Nitro and I did, I want to say three, four years ago. I don't know all, all everything washes together at this point. Okay, even more, I don't know. Was horrendously challenging at the time. Okay, because it's I don't know if you know the game. It's a beautiful giant big yeah. box from Mind Clash game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Peter Richard Arm the designer of designers of the Yeah, there. The one they did without me, and I absolutely adore the game. Okay, uh, but everything in it is meaningful, and everything in it is a lever you need to keep your eye on. Because if you don't, the the other player will make you lose because of it. Okay, it's essentially a tug of war and a Mexican standoff at the same time. Oh, I so... like it. I
0: like the Mexican standoff. Yeah, <laughs> coming me coming from Mexico, I like that. <laughs> <That's
1: great. laughs> so it's it's it's. It's not an area majority game; uh-huh. it's a majority of areas game. Yeah. So, so which, where do you put your hand? And 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 there are five areas for mechanism one. There is five areas for mechanism two. There is five areas for mechanism three. And if you take your hand off any of those mechanisms, mm-hmm. you lose on that majority. Yeah. And, and we didn't just want a, like a random clock, yeah. both punch you. Uh, oh, you have to run here. Out of fire. Oh, you have to because that's not how. Like in a multiplayer game, people win in like five turns. It's like punch, punch, Mm -hmm. pull his leg, other punch, (laughs) killing, finish him.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: It's a lovely, cute theme about uh, sending emotions into somebody's mind to change their mood. But yeah, it's 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 the you know uh, happiness and jealousy punching each other. So in a very (laughs) <laughs> so, So that solo mode was an insane amount of work okay. because first it started from a, a card-based automa that picks some combination of reasonable actions. Mm-hmm. And then okay, so if it wants to play your new emotion, where does it play it? Okay, it wants to attack one of your emotions. Which ones does it want to attack? And then each of those choices got a little uh, not flowchart but like an if-then-else kind mm-hmm. of statement. And then we needed to expand into them and then we needed to expand into them. And then we started playing and then we noticed that there's one particular type of, I mean, Nick started playing Mm -hmm. and noticed that there is one particular kind of attack that if you complete it, it always wins you the game, but it's so many steps that the human never lets you complete all the steps because as soon as you've done step two, your opponent is like, I know what you're doing punch. Yeah. And the bot didn't, doesn't see sequence. Okay. So sometimes it stops step one, sometimes it stops step four, but if you just do one, two, three, and then you <laughs> lose one, then you do three, but eventually you'll get to five and you'll win the game. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the, the fortress building strategy if anyone knows the game. So we had to put an interrupt into the bot saying, this is how you pick an action, this is how you resolve an action, except if the human has two fortresses already on the board, in which case do this. <laughs> and And like... And this is the one I remember, but there were like five other smaller, much smaller interrupts that we had to just uh, toss in there because otherwise there was an algorithm how to beat the bot, yeah. and and the bot was already super complex, and it was like crap. How many more extra courses do we have to put in to work? And and the final version is brilliant and works, but it's thirteen pages, and I don't know if I were to would if I would be able to do it. Better or at least less. If I did it today, yeah. but it's it's uh, like that one. That one made us sweat, mm-hmm. and so in in quantity, that one was the most challenging. But because that was the first directly interactive game I've ever done a solo mode for, yeah. so so there are games that we worked more on than uh, Cerebria or had bigger problems than on Cerebria, and. Most of them be solved, but but Serbia was like the the first one. It was the it was the baby, yeah. The the sweat falling, like holy crap, this is broken. So (laughs) yeah, you you, you'll forever remember the first solo mode that broke your back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure, and you know, I know Serbia also have like a like a you know important niche of fans that they like the solo mode Serbia, and it's it's crazy how you once you go into the niche of the solo gamers then there's more branches of that same hobby, you know? I so, am
1: happy to keep anyone the, the, having fun with whatever I can provide.
0: Yeah, there's solo gamers that, like, you know, that we like immersive games, and we <clears throat> tend to like more, you know, adventurous games. There's some solo gamers that they like, you know, an increased complex of a game. Uh, so it's just different branches, which I want to ask you something. While we were talking before, we jump into number five. Um, do Do you actually, as a designer... Do you have you know? Do you like to see uh, or watch in, in like is most commonly reviewers? How do you feel about reviewers? And my question comes from I'm particularly when I review a game here in the podcast, and I call it review just you know at the when I go over a game. I'm a firmly believer, and you mentioned something like this at the beginning that there's not um, per se bad games. Why? I feel like there's games for everyone. I feel that there's games that I won't like that probably somebody else will like. I feel that, you know, every game or every project that is out there, now most recently on Kickstarter, um, you know, it it involves a lot of hard work from designers, from publishers, from artists, uh, from everybody that works behind it. Just like you have your team of solo solo testers. And I'm pretty sure with the publishers, you also work with with the theme and and these graphic designs and stuff. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel when... First of all, if you watch reviewers, and second of all, how do you feel when they really throw negative? I know you usually don't get negative reviews, but because your, your work is it's very solid, but well,
1: uh, I still but, get a lot of this is unnecessarily overcomplicated as a negative review. Okay. <laughs> so well, how
0: how do you feel about that? What is your what is your point of view?
1: I don't watch a lot of reviews. It's okay. it, it has something to do with the same brain of mine that has trouble playing solo modes is that if I watch a video or podcast of someone talking about something that I want to say, yes, but then it (laughs) drives me crazy. And I just want to fast forward. Okay. Uh, So it, uh, so it's like occasionally I grab a few, few, I, 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 I am more into reading everything on BGG that the, the community says. Okay. So that I can anticipate their problems. Okay. And, and the more, hype and more famous the project is the easier it is because the more people are communicating so okay on a or an, on a more niche project of mine i have to gauge the mood out of 20 people posting on it and if out of the 20 people 10 of them are negative then it looks like oh my god there's a huge problem yeah whereas just there's another 300 that's not posting yeah but on a big project there is always dozens and hundreds of people posting so it's much Died more like Imperium has just come out what two weeks ago, uh-huh. and and most of the people haven't even gone through all the civilizations, so we don't know all the feedback yet. Yeah. And the, the reception is thankfully overwhelmingly positive, uh, but but like the tiny minor issues that they have, uh, uh, solo rulebook errata the setup, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, how to rule, look up that particular rule in the rulebook. I now understand and know them okay so for me it's less about what does the reviewer think for me it's more about the people that would enjoy what i want them to feel think yeah are they able to so okay. if anyone looks at my game and says i don't like it that's okay if anyone tells me that i think that worker placement mechanism that is working badly that's okay, let's sit down, let's discuss. That's something completely different. Yeah. So if someone doesn't like something that I put in their own purpose, that's okay. I sometimes I make mistakes and I say, crap, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But like willful mistakes when I've thought it through and I picked option A, and option A turned out to be bad in game design. A few years ago happened a few times in recently, it only happens. When it's it's not even a mistake. It's just like I make the game heavier than it should be, or yeah. I make the game longer than it should. So it's it's those aren't mistakes per se. I'm just hurting the game's marketability by not doing tighter control. But that's why I love to work with great publishers and great development teams because we keep each other in check. Yeah. So
0: and 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 it's and it's you know like like you're mentioning. You just said it. Uh, you know a little bit ago. I mean the fact that we don't like a game in my opinion doesn't make a game bad i mean and and that's you know that's when it comes through uh reviewers uh you know it it's always very subjective you know even even i always say a lot of play a lot of plays when when somebody does reviews even like the fact that the publisher sent you the game for free there's already a little bit of unvoluntarily bias there because you you know, there there it could be there. Uh and it's uh, just like movies, so, you know, it's the for, same thing. For
1: me it's easy because I don't share my opinions on other people's <laughs> yeah. games in public. Uh-huh. Therefore I can always joke at home that every game is terrible. <laughs> but what I mean by that is I apply Not always immediately. Sometimes it takes me a click to understand. Mm -hmm. But I try to apply... That's a better word. I try to apply such high standards to the projects I work on. Yeah. That if you apply that to every game, Mm -hmm. then you sound like an elitist nitpicker. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so, like, I... But... But that doesn't make the game bad. So most famously, uh, I posted a one paragraph summary slash review of Dwellings of Elder onto the Facebook group that I know that Luke Lowry frequents. And I said, the game is 80% pure brilliance and the last 20% that is obviously and visibly put in there on purpose completely ruins the game for me, but I understand why you did it. Yeah. And he said, Thank you, I'll take that compliment. And 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 we can talk <laughs> and, and we're good to, like we understand each other. So yeah. because that's an an emeritage powered by Euro game mechanisms. And yeah. and I love the spatial worker placement and the first convert your worker. And in fact, if it was a Euro game, I would probably say it has too many steps and it should be simpler, whereas I like super heavy games. Yeah. But then there is that element of Meritashy where you just roll five dice and see what happens. And I'm like, nope. I just lost seven <laughs> points on a die roll when I've spent half the game setting up for another six. Yeah. So so that game is not for me, but it's a great production. What's in there is super smart. Uh it, it the the you know, like for those people that are looking for Eurobot cool, it's a great pull. But with, with Minecraft games, it wasn't my idea, I just <laughs> jumped on the the victor and richard's uh band train is that the there they were with tricarian and with seribia they were trying to build a world through mechanisms yeah and and i pitched them an acronym and they loved the concept of time travel and use your own future stuff yeah but it didn't tell them any story so they were like Could we up the stakes? My original prototype was about um, um, tech startups uh, trying to get funding by selling the stuff they're going to invent tomorrow. Uh, And they're like, the mechanisms are great, but the story doesn't engage us. Can can we do something more exciting? I'm like, it's a worker placement game. You have to spend three cubes to get (laughs) two tiles to get three blue disks to get a victory point. Yeah, Yeah, but can we? OK, what do you want? How about the Earth is getting destroyed? Let's throw
0: the end of the world there.
1: <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and we started from there. And that was like, what, my third or my fourth game ever. So like a total amateur by my own today's standards. Yeah. And, and, and they were already great because Tricarion, they did before they met me and it was already genius. Yeah. But they weren't yet professional developers. Tricarion took them, I don't know, five, four, five, six years of their private time to get to where it got published. Whereas for Anachrony, they were now on the clock. But in like a year or so, we went through a few missed paths and whatnot. But when I looked at the finished game and then compared it to the game I gave them a year earlier, I was like, holy hell, this got better. (laughs) And since Cerebria got finished, the the team at Clash has been working on at Perseverance, which... Is on my list at some position. I don't know what well, let's, let's they or one
0: Let's jump into your number four, then, as as we keep going, and probably we will reach the game. Tell me, oh, tell me the next one. We're gonna mention. I know it's hard for you, David. I can I can see over there that yes, you know yes. going from five because, to one. But let's
1: let's let's. The, the story is not logical in different in difficulty <laughs> order because because. If I tell you now about perseverance, it makes no sense because I'm gonna refer back to another game on the list. Okay, so, like so let's, let's let's
0: just mention five games. we will starting we'll start with Serbia. What uh, will be the number four?
1: So, so other solo modes that
0: that are challenging. I've,
1: I've learned a lot from yeah. in a challenge way. Was my own Knights of Fire? Okay, that was uh, the first time I had a map where okay. your opponent moves. Okay, but where? okay that that that, and then knights of fire made it even worse because the opponent had to decide where to move Mm -hmm. based on my strength but most of my strength is obscured it's a it looks like a a block war game it's not a block war game it's Mm -hmm. a euro game about block war gaming Mm -hmm. but i had to write an automat that decides whether to move the tanks into this position or this position based on is it afraid of me is it attacking me but it had to decide that based on how many units do I have, how many of them are known, how many of them are unknown, how yeah. many of them are injured. And, and this I had to condense down to a small automa. And it had the map. So this was my second interactive game after Cerebria. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to burn through the list because otherwise I can't. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's, go it, let's go for it. Let's go.
0: Okay, you already mentioned two: Cerebria and Knights of Fire. What would yes. be the other three? And then we, 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 we continue with the conversation.
1: The, the the biggest, biggest, biggest challenge in size has always been Tricarion. Okay. Because Tricarion is one of my five favorite multiplayer games long before I had the chance to design an expansion for it.
0: Uh
1: And the game is, like, well, I talked about those structurally interesting choices. It's structurally interesting choices all the way down. In fact, some would say there are almost too many of them. But for me, just the right amount but that means that it's not enough to like you plan your cards you send out your workers and then you take some actions there some of which rotates the markets mm-hmm. and then you put tiles into the theater and this, uh, depending on where other people put their tiles they score something okay so sure we could have just messed with the markets blocked some worker places blocked some spaces on the theater that would not be the game Okay. In Tricarian, essentially, like if there was no interaction, if you didn't care about other players, if players didn't change the state of the game, mm-hmm. every player could write a plan on round one and say, this is what I'm doing, this is how many points I will have, plus minus 10, that's the end. Okay. The reason the game is not scripted is because every plan is full of linchpins. And every linchpin has a plan B. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of randomness in the offer on the die rolls, and everything else depends on your position in turn order. Uh, other people's where are they in? Because the whole game is like a simple loop. Yeah. Get money, buy a component, get a trick, prepare the trick, <laughs> set up the trick, <laughs> yeah. score points, get money, pay salary, repeat. Yeah. So you have to see where the other player is in that loop. Which of how much money you have? Which of you have committed their big workers to another location, etc. So the solo mode had to reflect everything. The only thing it doesn't reflect is how much money does my opponent have to pay for a particular good or or whatever. We just Mm -hmm. assume that they'll figure it out. So the bot doesn't pay salary and doesn't pay for tiles and doesn't actually collect tiles. It just shuffles the market bot. It shuffles the market based on what components its tricks have. Yeah. So you can still look at its tricks and say, "Hmm, it's gonna take away my uh, pigeon from the yeah. market or something." So, and it's a huge game, like, right? yeah. and I—it's my favorite. So it's like I can't. Well, I said that the solo mode has to be not worse than the core game. Yeah, I can't make Tricarion worse than the core game. That would be. Butchering the, the the beauty, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so while the how to do it was obvious, but that meant that it has so many wheels spinning. All of them much simpler than Cerebria because I was two two to three years more experienced at it. Yeah. But just so many wheels. the The solo rulebook for Tercarian is longer than most normal board game rules. Yeah, and. And the people that like Tricarian, the people that like my kind of complete interaction automas all say that it is amazing, but its efficiency ratio could not come down. And, and that, that was super challenging because every other bot we were working on at the same time, was like, oh, this is so simple. I mean, Tekken was like, it's like Peltiercom, but half the complexity, it works like that, the solo one. And Tricarian just did not come down. So mm-hmm. there, the challenge was: how can we squeeze out every drop of smart without adding even a gram more than what we absolutely have to? It's, yeah. it's like you know, it's like building a spaceship. It's <laughs> like no, you can't pack that extra apple because there is not, there's too much weight for liftoff. Yeah. So it's like we couldn't put even a single apple on that spaceship. It, it had to go with whatever was already inside.
0: It had to be. It had to be perfect. You know, that's a game that I haven't played yet, but I've been looking forward because every time that I hear about the game is nothing but positive things, of course.
1: Chikarian is the best heavy game I've ever played.
0: There stuff. you go. Then I need, just with what you said, I need to put it on my list right away to, you know, on my card. It is said, incredibly because it's
1: my... heavy, so it's not yeah. something you jump into. It's, like when BG on BG people talk about the heaviness rating and they say, Ooh, an acrony is like a three, nine, four, one. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. An is a giant box. <laughs> you play the base game with the symmetric sides. It's a 3.2 at most.
0: Oh, come on, David. It is, it's is more complex than that. I mean, probably for you is not, but <laughs> for all the normal human beings,
1: an acrony is one of my simplest Euro games. Like seriously, like I can teach an acrony in what, 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, want these so you take me 45. Uh I don't know what else I'm looking at. Like Trickarian, I teach in over an hour. So wow. like an acronym is it's 25 minutes. If it's it's yeah, stick simple. It's it's it goes on. There's more to it. That's why it's a good game, but yeah. it's not comp tricarian. Does deserve its four point one. Then, so yeah.
0: I, I promise you, David, I will try. I will definitely play Tricarian, and I will definitely do an episode about it because that's one game that, once again, I've been listening. I've been hearing things, nothing but positive things. And now, with what you just stated, it's one of your favorite games ever. I really need to bring it to the table.
1: Let's. I keep... think, I think, out of my five favorite games, this might be the only one that actually has a solo mode, and I designed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the solo mode after the fact because. As I said, since I don't play solo, what's and for me, interaction is a thing. So, yeah, like my regular favorite games list is like Toshkalar, uh, uh, Glory to Rome. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, Brass was up there for a while. I haven't played it in a while, so now I don't know if I would still love it. Uh, heavy euros have been bubbling up, so now I'm now I'm in a Los Alba phase, yeah. So, yeah, it's
0: how, how, how do well. If you want to continue when you listen, then I will ask you, but I was going to ask you just a, a brief, brief, brief pause here. Um, how do you feel? It's, I mean, you already stated you're a heavy gamer, heavy Euro gamer, that it has to be in, based on interaction. But I'm pretty sure some point down the road, you have tried Trash games. Uh, I came
1: from Trash. Okay. My first board game I played was Battlestar Galactica. My yeah. second one was Game of Thrones. Okay, so, so
0: but but how, like do, are, do you do you see yourself like I don't know going back to to a game that probably you love the theme and no. even if it's an Ameritrash dungeon crawler whatever or in reality no, like because, no because
1: because because to me it's all about the systematically interesting game now okay so Balsa Gractica is pure genius it, the psychology of it is insane okay the the subtleties that you have to pick on is perfect. But it's not systematically interesting. It's interesting in incidents. It's interesting psychologically. It's exciting in the way Ameritash games make you excited by, oh crap, not this one as well. Mm -hmm. But any one game of Battlestar Galactica is not guaranteed to be interesting.
0: Yeah, could be.
1: And that I can't like, maybe my Tolerance for social interactions have decreased over the years as I become a shut-in hermit that designs games uh, 26 hours a day. Mm -hmm. But if I want to have fun with people for three and a half hours, then let's talk about our recent favorite movies. Let's put on some music. Let's, Let's get some good food. I don't need to keep reminding people of rules of a very heavy game for three and a half hours that may or may not be fun for the people at the table, including myself. Yeah. And that's a game I actually love. Now imagine how I feel about thematically engaging a Meritash that I don't love. Yeah. So it's like I just... Like uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know where that stands on the 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 does that count as a swear word, yeah but it's it's the bullshit meter it's <laughs> I don't care how cool and how exciting the game is if a bit of it sounds like bullshit, yeah, then I just can't engage with the game, okay, because whatever I do, that bullshit will bother me so yeah. so i I don't claim to make games better i make games towards something sure and when somebody makes a mechanically interactive medium heavy to heavy euro then i expect it to be in that direction that i am looking for yeah. and if it's not that's what i call a problem that i want to fix but yeah. that doesn't say i'm saying it's a crap game i mean let's not launch me into that discussion because i want to after a long and hard rant, wrote <laughs> down the five or six criteria for interactive Euro design quality. Yeah. Because I once found a, a, a wildly popular and widely liked game that met about zero of these for me. Mm-hmm. And since then, I found the second one. And one of the two is like top 50 Euro game. So it's like, I, I'm sure you guys are having fun with it. I don't understand why. <laughs> it's like, I look at the game and the whole no yes it's it's not a question of do i like it i can't sit down and play it because i understand the system and i say no and that's what i want like i'm okay other people can have fun i'm not trying to explain to them that they're wrong yeah i am looking for games that meet my quality my criteria of goodness and criteria of interestingness better and better yeah and because my comfort zone is too high for the most for the Vast um no, it's not even like there are two kinds of heavinesses. There's strategic heaviness and rules heaviness. Mm-hmm. I have near unlimited capacity for rules heaviness and a medium good depth, uh like like strategic heaviness. Yeah. But other people that can't internalize a whole rule system just by looking at the rule book. Say, oh, my God, that game has, it has so many rules, which is why some of my heavy games, Tawantins being the best example, every negative review says, the game is messy, too complicated, I don't understand, this is stupid. <laughs> every positive review says, it looked like a lot at the start, but then it clicked, and it's amazing. So, yeah. so where I lack is how to reduce that barrier of entry. So that's what I want to learn. But just because somebody's doing a lighter game, i.e. a lower barrier of entry, that doesn't mean I can't still apply my quality of goodness to it while not breaking their complexity budget. So that's what my life as a consulting game designer slash game developer for hire (laughs) is uh, checking why one person thinks A is good, why one person thinks B is good, and then Essentially, telling the other ones. So. Yeah.
0: Hey, throw, throw me. Uh, it's very interesting, and, and honestly, I'm as I'm talking to you, and I'm of course you and I were were uh, seeing each other through a camera, um, and you amazing friends. This is only audio to you, but it's very interesting to to understand basically how what i call it behind the scenes where you're just sharing with us you know the process of how you design well not per se the process of how you design again but yeah you, as you were mentioning uh, examples of your challenging uh designings and and how it was and you know with the different flows uh and why you were looking in the game and why do you think why do you think it, a game is heavy when when or another games that we think are heavy but are probably not like in your mind like you were mentioning acronym. with i have to say for me it's one of my favorite Euro games just ever. Uh, thematically, I, when you were mentioning about the theme that, hey, make a theme more appealing, you know, end of the world, time travel, whatever. For me, is you know, I love it because those two things are definitely uh, uh, things very appealing uh, to me when I like to let myself immerse. Actually, Anachrony, it has that effect on me that even if it's a Euro game, um, it's for me it's immersive and it's thematic. And some wait until you see perseverance. Perseverance. That's another one that we're gonna talk in a little
1: perseverance bit. Perseverance is is alone like obviously don't expect anything light. Like episode one is heavier than an acronym and episode two is pretty much tricarium base game level. But so so again, expect a climb, but once you get to the top, strategic gameplay, meaningful interaction, narrative immersion proper world-building, individually elegant systems. Sure, if you look at it and say five systems, then you think it's unelegant, but and, and like while I was, as I said, developing this quality of goodnesses, other than total number of systems, there was nothing we could improve in Perseverance any further. It's like every other project we've been working on is like is this as good as perseverance no then let's make it better so <laughs> so people who love to carry an anachrony and either got or didn't get perseverance they don't know what they're gonna get this is like
0: do you think this will be the 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 peak of the
1: well, uh, it's not going to be a peak because we're trying to do better next time.
0: Yeah. But, but so far, but, so far, from Perseverance to behind, you think it will be the peak? Yes.
1: Yes. I honestly think it's better than both Anachrony and Tricarion. And Anachrony is obviously where it is today. And yeah. Tricarion has always been my favorite heavy Euro. Uh-huh. And I'm saying Perseverance might overtake it by the time we are finished with everything on it. So yeah. right now, it's yeah. there were definitely moments in it where I high fived myself bigger during play than even a turn seven vicarian uh, setup <laughs> so yeah that's why i love working with mine clash because i am their biggest fanboy yeah. and and whenever we have team meetings and and victor asks me things like oh how should we do this how should we, which one will people like more i'm like no which one will you like more the the, the reason these games are good because you like them yeah. So I don't care what other people say. It, my only job is to please you with the game. <laughs> because <laughs> if I can, it will be at least as good as Trickuran and Anakin and Cerebria, but possibly better. So and, and that's, th- that's, those those are dream.
0: those are bigger words that you're saying, David, over there. Huh? I yeah. take because you know, I mean, one thing is that what you will prefer as a designer, but I'm pretty sure you are aware as a designer at the same time that from all David Tersey's work, uh, you know, since you started to make solo mode for games and stuff, you know, and I, I dare to say without any doubt, that the most famous out there and the one that the people love, like, in a crazy it's acronym, way, yes. it's an acronym. I mean, I do it, yes. too. Like, when I when I got the Miniatures expansion, for me, it was like a dream country, you know? It was because like... <laughs>
1: because it, it checks almost all of the boxes of an amazing Mind Clash project, mm-hmm. but is actually quite simple. And... okay. And these two things averages out into that sweet spot. Whereas Tricarian is structurally and mechanically better, but doesn't have a simple core to average it to a consumable box. Therefore, it's a lot more, not niche, but a lot more acquired taste. Whereas with Mm -hmm. Perseverance, what we've done is that the individual decisions are as straightforward as an acronym, But the overarching strategy is as complex and deep and variable and depends on as many minor pivots yeah. as Yeah. And and trickarian has pre-planning, which people often make mistakes on. Percetians doesn't have pre-planning, so that allowed us to put... Different things on your brain to think about because we took off the pre-planning load, and of course, let's not forget that we've already announced the fifth Mind Clash game, Voidfall. Yeah, which which is significantly simpler than Perseverance. It is heavier than Anachrony, but other than Anachrony and maybe Perseverance Episode One, it's it's on the lighter half of the Mind Clash ladder, and it's, it's it's it has both. A competitive and a coop mode, and it's not like, oh, here is some some bullshit event cards that you have to survive. No, <laughs> we've properly designed yeah. a competitive game. Then we've properly redesigned the motivations of the same mechanisms, because because uh, all right, I'll talk a little bit about it. Okay. So uh, because Voidful is a space four x game. It has hexes. You put stuff on hexes. Mm-hmm. You'll see, but most stuff on Hex's games, either, you know, you start from War Games, then you get to Emeritus, then you get yeah. to, like, Eclipse. Yeah. is always about a feeling of building something and then a clash. Yeah. But what we said is that, guys, you thought Anachrony was exciting, right? In Anachrony is the most Stefan Feld point salad ever. <laughs> it's just because we can tell you a story with it, you suddenly thought a point salad is fun. So, how about we make you a point salad that has a quarter of the decision points than an acronym, but all of those decision points are three times as meaningful? Okay. Which is which is kind of what the, either the Italians or Rita Lacerda tries in very different ways, but mm-hmm. obviously we try it Mind Clash way. Yeah and then say all right go cook yourself a point salad but by the way you can also attack other people if you think that's the best way to score points and often it's not or mm-hmm. if it's you're on a big map you're too far to attack if you're on a and like the last latest i had was uh, we were playing on a tiny map with a lot of combat yeah. potential and there has ne- not been a single shot fired in the entire game what and it was incredibly <laughs> tense in okay. every player checked every move. If I move over here, it suddenly becomes better for you to attack me than to not. And it's 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 a euro heavy euro victory point puzzle with a map where everybody is standing with their ships <laughs> pointed at each other. So how do we turn that into solo? How do we sc- scale that for care bears? What do yeah. we, because Sure, you can play on a big map, and then on the big map the tension, the the guns up movement, only happens seventy, eighty, ninety percent through the game. Yeah, but not how, the beginning. how how
0: do you create the tension when it's solo mode? That's the thing.
1: Exactly. So we said we can't, but we can use the motivation of the so the or competitive game, which is build an empire while making sure that you're more threatening outwards than they are threatening to you. Yeah. And while holding up that, cook victory points. Do your Feldian stuff. Mm -hmm. So what if it's not the other players pointing the guns at you, but the neutral enemy that that is in competitive just sits at the middle of the map doing nothing? But then why would that be a solo mode? Why is that not a co-op mode? Okay, so it's a co-op mode. What would a co-op mode do? Uh, the way I look at it, uh, heavy Euro co-op games are Spirit Island or not working. Okay. So what would Spirit Island do? How would I keep up the tension? Yeah. And and for the past month and a half, basically, Nigel and I have been every week, twice a week working on, okay, there's a tension on, you must get conquer this hex by the end of the round. Cool. But this turn... I have no tension. Okay, let's introduce a new tension that makes me care about what happens this time. Okay, yeah. now there's a tension, I must push that, but there is no build-up. I'm just cooking. All right. Because in in, in multiplayer the in competitive the build-up is that you get more threatening to other people, your immediate scoring gets bigger, and theirs get bigger. Yeah. In in op it's like you're surviving. Okay, then let's add the new build-up. And it's like, how can we reproduce every tension point? just someone else is pointing the gun at you. And 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 this comes to the same thing as I've been saying about solo modes. Our job is not to make a different game. Our job is not to make an okay co-op game and then say, but whoever scores the most is the winner. Mm-hmm. No, our job is to keep the competitive pressure insanely high in competitive. Yeah. And the survival and cooperation pressure, super high in cooperative. And then once that works, then we have to create a solo mode for a cooperative game and that's an entirely different challenge than making a solo mode for a competitive game because that's an issue of scaling. That's a, uh, what do you do with the cards that say another player may? Uh, what do you do with the yeah. actions that you want to do between the enemy's turns, etc.? So that's a scaling problem, not a motivation problem. So because translating the competitive motivation was so incredibly hard on Tricarian, because everything mattered. Yeah. On Voidfall, we said, we're not going to try because Voidfall is not as heavy as Tricarian, So let's not make a 40-page solo rulebook to it. Okay. And that's why instead of teaching the opponent to care about every detail that keeps the tension up in competitive. Mm-hmm. We just recreated those tension points by a common enemy and said, instead of have most points, we said, all of you must have more points than the common enemy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's... And and I don't like hope games and we've just gotten to a point where we can like play full games of it and it's just as exciting as the competitive simply the gun is being pointed at me by someone else,
0: <laughs> and I was going to ask you that, David, because I don't recall. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall any of the other projects that I, that you have worked with, or as not. I'm I'm sure there's not too many that uses the co-op
1: mode. I mean, and you just say it, Yido. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, this uh, the the reason I met. Ma- I dared to do it on Void 4 is because I've done it on Yido. Okay, uh, Yido. Uh, Thomas van der Ginste and uh, Wolf Tank, good friends of mine, and members of the Perseverance team. Okay. So just so you see that we're very integrated. All right, that's good. Uh, is the game that make, made them famous almost 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And it's a more thematic, slightly heavier, slightly more interactive Lords of Waterdeep. Okay. Lords of Waterdeep is typically one of those games that are fun. You get excited about making choices and feeling how they'll turn out, mm-hmm. but they're not systematically interesting choices. They are psychological push-your-lock action allowance yeah. kind of decisions. Yeah, And Yido makes it more tense by putting the goals and the special actions into people's hands. Mm-hmm. And the people who are all about the immersion and about the experience super love the game because here is a straightforward Lords of Waterdeep style worker placement game that gives you all this story energy, all Mm. this, oh my God, remember when my disciple got arrested at the castle, those (laughs) things. But I am a strategy, like a, a structurally strategy player. And I've sat down with Thomas, I played a game with him two player and I said, okay, but we just played two games Like, we didn't put any of the attack cards in. We didn't put any of the, like, the direct interaction cards in. We just, you know, did our missions and then scored it. Mm -hmm. I said, you didn't put any direct pressure on me. We did stuff that happened side by side. Sometimes we interacted with each other. Sometimes we accidentally screwed each other over. But that's not where the fun of the game is. So if I simulate the interactions of the game, then I will either simulate too many or it will just flatly be a random, unexciting decision. Okay. And, and I said, this is not a critique of the game because the people that do love Yido love that. But the people that love interactive solo modes, if they get an interactive-looking solo mode that is not actually interactive, just randomly screwy, then they'll think that the solo mode is crap. Whereas the solo mode is not crap. The solo <laughs> mode is just continuing the curve of the game. Five-player, you can assume everybody goes everywhere. On four-player, you can start guessing where they're not going. And on two-player, it's like, whatever, the board is all open. I'll try to go there and hope he doesn't yeah. and have a plan B if he does. So if you continue that curve downwards, what of remains course. at one player is not of interesting. Yeah. So I thought to Thomas, but you used event cards. You used missions those are all things that today, 10 years later, are less and less used in Euro games because they promote randomness, unpredictability, incidental interaction. Mm-hmm. However, they're used in co-op games. Yeah. And again, Yido was like 80% genius, 20% so not for me that... And and I'm good friends with the designer, so this is not a I hate the game thing. Yeah. It's a, but that 20% is completely at home at a somewhat lighter than Spirit Island level Euro co-op game. And I said, I can't make a good solo mode for you because it'll be incidental instead of strategic. But if I make a good two-player co-op mode for you, where you have some information where the game is putting pressure on you, you have some randomness to have the excitement of the multiplayer game of, haha, I played this mission before you could get there. But the rest of it is just cook yourself 22 victory points before the game runs out. Yeah. It's a race against the clock and the survival challenge at the same time. Yeah, And the solo is naturally, this scaled down to one player. And then we tried that with three and four and it worked. So <laughs> I, and, and and I know this sounds super arrogant because it's like, oh, I made it but No the motivation of the mechanisms are in such a way that I like Yido better as a co-op game than as a competitive game. Wow. (laughs) Because it becomes thematic, more thematic and a little bit more random than Spirit Island, but it does puzzle your action allowance while dealing with random stuff flying at you and while there's an ever-mounting wall of death falling on you that describes both spirit island and Hido Coop. yeah and i said okay so that's the way forward and i'm not saying i'll be always be able to pull it off but <laughs> but on any game where the interaction is in the tiny details yeah. not in the I place my worker here, you place your worker That Those are obvious interactions. Those are great for automats. Mm-hmm. But tiny interactions are better served by mimicked pressure points. Yeah. And, and so for me, every solo mode design builds on every other solo mode design I've done before. So Yido is a coop random pressure powered by a standard automa. But... but uh, Meanwhile, I worked on one of my own games, Venice, which was originally a three-to-five-player pick-up-and-deliver-slash-euro-engine-builder game. And it has a mechanism where when two boats meet, both players get an uh, intrigue, which is during the game, good, but at the end of the game, whoever has the most intrigue is not qualified to win. Mm -hmm. Unless you pay a scroll. And then there are certain buildings that you can invest into that lets you remove intrigue faster, blah-blah-blah-blah. Okay. And... First of all, the non Bear people freaked out because it's like, oh my God, I can attack you and you can get eliminated. I'm like, no, the only (laughs) time you get more intrigue than I do is if you don't have scrolls to cancel the intrigue and I do, which means I made a strategic decision to go slower to have more scrolls and you didn't. Therefore, it's your own damn fault. I didn't attack you. (laughs) You painted a target in your chest. But the problem was it didn't work in two player because if I could give you an intrigue, while not taking one that was a direct attack, that's just me hurting you, no trade-off. Yeah. Otherwise, if it was, would be to both of us, we just don't care, and the whole mechanism dies out. Yeah. So to make the two-player work, obviously there had to be two neutral boats on the board. Mm-hmm. Where do they move? And uh, uh, Endeavor Age of Sail from a good friend of mine, Jared Gray, uh, has a two-player mode where you take an action, and then you take the exact same action with the neutral player, but not resolve it. And then it's your turn. And, and that got me thinking, what if there was a neutral player following you around, but not actually giving you anything? But but the board is a lot more complicated than Venice. That didn't work. And the, the solution was that I made an automa deck, mm-hmm. but instead of laying it out, I said, play your turn, draw two cards from your automa deck, pick one put it down that's where the automa drives its boat meeting people along the way so it's possible that only one of the two of us gets intrigued because the automa only meets you not me mm-hmm. and then put the other one back on the deck top of the deck so next turn you're going to draw it again and everybody's like oh my god won't they just game the boat so that they always run into your opponent i'm like no because every turn you get the binary choice and whichever card you didn't choose still going to be the next turn yeah it's a different randomness it's not a Bot can do one of these things. What's the worst that could happen? It's uh these are the two things the bot could do. Which of them can I deal with more? Yeah, and and I learned from that.
0: And I feel like by doing that, you're kind of pushing, like you say, the the, the, random, the randomness is different because since you're returning that uh, card to the top of your deck, you're kind of pushing. Uh, for that option to be more latent during the next turns, so eventually, exactly. eventually, I mean, if, if somebody eventually will choose it. Find the worst. Yeah, copy. yeah, yeah. Versus if you choose one card and then discard the other one, then when it gets back to shuffle, I mean, the randomness will be nope. huge, huge, exactly. huge.
1: And so I did it on Venice because I had to, and uh, and the solo mode was you playing against four automated boats, two of these decks, yeah, and then there being a normal automatic deck that gave the incidental blah, but. That was not what you were worried about. It was always the best. Yeah. So in Venice, I did this because I had to. And now I'm dropping the last two names that I wanted to drop from my list. Sure, go for it. Is, uh, uh, I worked on two other games over the past two, three years. Foundations of Rome, from okay. Emerson Marchisuti. Emerson is an exactly different kind of brilliant than what I normally deal with. Okay. He does a lot of depth from very little. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's amazing at first look. Sometimes it's amazing even at third look. Sometimes he can get that hook in, and you just want to go, "Wow!" Mm-hmm. Foundations of Rome, a game that I before I knew anything about the game, just looked, oh, it kicks out a mega project, hundred and fifty minutes. Who cares? Ignore. <laughs> Plus, it's probably too light for me. Yeah. And then when I saw that it was Emerson, and and I don't even and and I think I knew somebody at the publisher, and and I is saying, "Hi, Emerson. Do you want a solo mode for this?" And he's like, "You can't make a solo mode for this. This is a spatial action drafting where you make all of your choices based on where the opponent does things." Mm-hmm. And and I was like, "Okay, watch me." And he wanted <laughs> as little randomness as possible. Mm-hmm. The like I haven't looked at that solo mode in almost two, yeah, almost year and a half so i don't want to say how it actually works because i don't actually remember no that's fine but i remember that that was the first time where a card automa like knights of fire or snowdonia Mm -hmm. has didn't have a die what we did instead is we put three cards out and then when it was the bot's turn we flipped the fourth card and that said the number one two or three and it resolves that action and then slide and refill and the card you just flipped went into it okay and this it's a slightly different because self-purifying, but a similar feeling than when you roll a weighted D six, like a one, 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 two, 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 three. Yeah, two, two, three. Uh, but does it more elegantly? And this was so simple that we could use whatever little complexity budget we had for placing the actual buildings on the spatial grid, while maintaining what makes Foundations of Rome so great. So the fact that I had to make an interactive super light but super meaningful, but told me that whatever I thought about Anachrony's flowchart, die Settlers' is Rondel, yeah. Devotee Pyramid, I can do it simpler. And that's how I got to the first pinnacle of my solo journey, Kemben mm-hmm. uh, okay Because it's a Lacerda game that everything matters. The central action selection is laser sharp. Everything else is... 20 minor decisions that all kind of matter, yeah. but not in a first grade interactiveness way. Yeah. But the central mechanism is super interactive and super laser sharp. Yeah. And Vital doesn't want to die, and he wants, we talked about this. Yeah. And Camban's solo mode uses the exact same action selection mechanism that Foundations of Rome's solo did. And the priority lists and whatnots that you know from Anachrony and Tricarian and all the others Mm -hmm. only kick in once the worker has been placed. So the where do I need to go to not let, not get into this bot blocks me, then Sandra scores me, what happens in the multiplayer game all the time, is stick simple. You look at the card, the bot is going there. Okay. And again, three cards, and then one of the three will be resolved. But and, and then because it's a heavy you know, we still had the flowcharts. charts yeah and uh, what I've learned from camp and Evie being the complete synthesis of the foundation's simplicity and the anachrony's meaningful state and the Teotihuacan's just enough randomness and and you know like like yeah all the ingredients i've been cooking for years improving them as i go is now basically like since camp and evie the one big new thing i had was this draw to put one back from venice yeah so perseverance which is cried for a on like super complex button i said no <laughs> we can't make this game even harder to, like we want this yeah. game to be not as hard as to carry we want it to, more people to enjoy why i think it's the best yeah so we need to turn it down so while system-wise the bot is super complex the rule is lay out three cards flip the fourth that picks two cards first bot executes the first card second bot executes the second card the rulebook has this much text for each possible thing that can be written on the card, done. So yes, you still have to learn 15, not 15, 10 actions worth of resolution, but those 10 actions are extremely logical mirrors of how you resolve it when you take the action. (laughs) And the selection method, which in Anachrony was this giant flowchart in in Teotihuacan, it was reorganizing the tiny tiles and then look them up in the rule book. Here, it's a beautiful card with... An icon that's essentially a complete player aid for the action in front of you.
0: That's nice. That's nice. I love so, player aids. I think, especially on heavy on heavy games or euro games in general, I think player aids when they when they're made that simple, I think they're fantastic. And I like, always hear like, that people love it too.
1: Like with heavy mind clash games, and 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 that's why an acronym appears to be super heavy because it has seventy icons, but. Once you internalize the system, every yeah. icon makes sense, and you don't need a player aid because you look at the hieroglyphic and you read it. <laughs> yeah. And and Perseverance does that, but more thematically supported and more similar to how you do it. So it's like you don't need a player aid. Yeah. I'm not saying, like, it's just the fact that you put the three icons that describe your action onto the bot card. You look at it, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I'll just do this for the bot. So Yeah. So that's one direction I'm moving in. The other direction I'm moving in is instead of going heavier but eleganter using the Kanban EV system, what if I introduce the EV, the, the Venice card choice mm-hmm. into a Kanban EV style Automa? Yeah. And it's not done yet, so don't quote me on it. I, it might change. Yeah. Right now, the solo mode for Vita's next game, Weather Machine, is using a mix of the venice EV line. Okay. While uh, John John Albertson uh, has perfected the, how to simplify the foundations of Rome structure even further into the railways of uh, the world, uh, but that well, just came out on, on Kickstarter like a week ago. So... So right now, every single big bot we're working on uh, is an evolution of one of the previous ones. Okay. So it's that's why I can produce, as you say, guaranteed good solo games off one after another because yeah. because I'm not there designing for giggles. It's, it, I am not emotionally invested into how my solo modes work. I am theoretically invested in backing it up with you know, this feels like a. Uh, I came up with a the math thesis, and I'm now I'm trying to build a bridge with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So now I have, yeah. I have to I have to say a few things. First of all, um, I really like how you very correctly say the word Teotihuacan because usually <laughs> everybody that is that is not related to, to you know to the Spanish uh, language, which of course I am. Like I mentioned, I'm from Mexico. Um, you know they say the name Teotihuacan in different ways but you actually said it pretty amazing so that's fantastic I'm not
1: English yeah. I don't I'm I, um, I do not put uh, like it takes me effort to use English vowels yeah. and if I don't use English vowels then <laughs> a lot more languages are a lot more pronounceable yeah, and so... I'm particularly bad at pronouncing languages but just Well you you do pronounce... a great
0: job with Teotihuacan that's one thing the other a lot thing of practice I wanted to which actually I I like to say that Teotihuacan it was one of my uh, it's one of my you know favorite games for sure but it's a game that I really like uh, just because you know sometimes and I guess this happened in different cultures when 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 designers made games about a certain culture um, you know sometimes it's hard you know to do all the research and know everything about it Uh, and in Teotihuacan you know even in the multiplayer mode and 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 the solo mode as well, the, the theme is there. Once again, I think uh, it's very hard, and I don't see it very often, Euro games with a strong theme or attached that gives you the feeling that you're playing something thematic, the, and the, at the there same time Euro. are to it. Yeah.
1: Um, there are mechanical Euro games, or the way I like to call them, Italian Euro games. Okay. They always start from a mechanism or a special way to utilize a component. Okay. And often they look like they have pasted on themes. When I, like, I'm, I, I when I do Italian euros, I start from the mechanism too. So I'm not a theme first designer, mm-hmm. but even if I do a mechanical euro, I need the setting. I don't say theme. I say setting okay. to make sense. Okay. Best example is Tekkenu, which mm-hmm. is as beige abstract as they come, but. But still, Horus builds statues mm-hmm. because he's the, the god of kings. Osiris is the god of Nile, so he brings the the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hathor is the goddess of home and warmth, therefore she builds the houses. Mm-hmm. Ra is the the mm-hmm. sun god, therefore he builds the white pillars.
0: Yeah, and so
1: and the so the, so
0: the setting is there. Let's not yes. call it the theme. Like the setting is there. Yes. Yeah.
1: The second level that is narrative. Narrative doesn't have to be present in every game. I obviously some of my favorite games get better because of narrative, but Tekkenu does not have a narrative. If yeah. I claimed that Tekkenu had a narrative, I would be lying. <laughs> yeah. Tekkenu has a very sensible setting. And I I try I made sure that there's nothing jumping out of it. Yeah. But the mind clash method says not only there has to be narrative. We write the narrative. So we come up with a central mechanism that models a game. Yeah. Then we write a narrative that that mechanism can partially describe. Mm-hmm. And then we go, okay, what other stories do we want to tell? And how to modify our mechanism by one little rule to also tell that story. Yeah. And that is what we call narrative mechanisms. Because narrative-driven games always meant flip a card, read a text. Yeah, Perseverance does not have a single line of story text anywhere in the game. Every action feels like you just part of a story. Yeah, sure. Some of them is gain to food because it's a Euro game and you still need to gain to food.
0: <laughs> yeah. but
1: But if you want to press the I want to go to the mysterious temple in the middle of the jungle to score this victory point agenda card button, then... You have to fight through the bushes and build support camps along the way and gather material. It's like the fee- the, the the story of your strategy mm-hmm. is the story of what the people in universe are doing. Yeah, and and uh, in some games this is small mechanism, big story. Rest of the mechanism, but I've already, I've done it once the other way around, and that was not with Mine That was another master storyteller i occasionally work together with gordon kaleha of uh, mighty boards yeah yeah and i showed him not joking because the sure. original theme was not my idea yeah. a game about betting on a unicorn race okay and sure the game was smart and had lots of good ideas but the mechanisms didn't tell that particular story it was a setting not a narrative Okay. And nobody understood the game. They got rules wrong. They did stupid moves that made sense in-universe but didn't make sense strategically, etc. Plus, of course, as funny as it is, nobody actually wants a heavy euro about uh, uh, <laughs> betting You're... on unicorns yeah. uh, as much as everybody says, yes, I do. But no, they don't actually. Yeah. Um, so Gordon said, all right, we can look into publishing this, but tell me a more interesting story. And I looked at the mechanisms, and the mechanisms were about investing into something that's easy to get, but its sale value depends on when you're selling it. Okay, what is it that's easy to get, but sometimes it's very valuable? Ooh, I know. You dug up things from the ground, and yeah. if people are interested in it, it's valuable. If people are not interested in it, it's not valuable. So instead of racing unicorns, we are advertising archaeological finds. Yeah. And this story said, okay, how do we measure a certain type of artifact's popularity? We measure by how many visitor queues up to seize them. Mm -hmm. Boom! New mechanism. The popularity of the blue artifact is how many blue meeples are in the queue. And let's have six queues on the board for the six museums, and whenever somebody gets into the queue, the person at the front gets bored and goes home. Yeah. Market manipulation. And then... Gordon did what most of my publisher, most of my thematic publishers seem to do. Sure, but can we make it cooler? And that's when <laughs> the museums turned into alien markets, marketplaces. And instead of uh, Indian-style archaeology, it, uh, it turned into uh, aliens are digging up the junk of left after humanity after they've gone extinct. And this is excavation Earth. I was going to say, you stood
0: for me. Yeah, because I actually did a, a review. <laughs> Uh, on your product, on the prototype version, it was sent to me uh, by, of course, Mighty Boards. They're always amazing. Uh, the team is always amazing with us, and and they sent me a prototype copy. Remember, and I play. And I, and as you were describing some of the mechanisms, it was coming to me. and I was like, I'm pretty and sure
1: you're talking about so, excavation so, so, here. So the core game was already smart. Sure, it got smarter yeah. in development, but what made it work was that the mechanisms became narrative mechanisms. Yeah, and. Excavation Earth is a much tighter, much more number-based game, mm-hmm. whereas Mine Clash lets, likes to give you a field of strategy, which but... is sort of reminiscent of Vitala Serda as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, I learn from all. Like I've co-designed with uh, both Tashini, and I'm working with Luciani, and mm-hmm. I work and talk with Vitala Serda every day, and Mine Clash every day. So and and others at Board and Dice, and and you know Martin Wallace on on speed dial if I need him. So yeah. my job is to understand what other people think are good and try to apply as many of them to the product as possible without bloating it. Yeah. And which is why I like somebody to sit next to me and slap me when I bloat it because <laughs> I inevitably do because yeah. I can always add one more thing to make it smarter. Yeah. And I'll improve the elegance, so I'm I don't just on random stuff but still there is something as this is too much for our poor audience yeah. so for me it's an evolving experience and and solo moods are just a part of i want everyone to have fun yeah so you
0: uh, know and believe me you you actually do because once again i mean not because you're here uh you know in this interview uh no i mean i always said like, it. like usually nowadays uh, we, when we tend to go to Kickstarters, as we go into more projects, more projects, we start to learn in which projects to trust, uh, which projects, you know, try not to go only by the 1,000 big plastic miniatures that they're throwing at you. I mean, and in, in going as well for, you know, who is the designers? And, and if you're into theme, into thematic things, like I am, okay, what is the theme about? Or the setting, like you call it. And when you see the name David Tercy, once again, it, it's, it's, a solid, it's a solid, consistent, uh, successful game and 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 also you kind of know as a as a as a gamer if you play some of the david Tersey games you kind of know where where you're getting to it you kind of know even if but, you don't know the mechanics you, you kind of have a feeling okay this is going to okay, be a, a complex game you don't know
1: the mechanisms because because you
0: keep evolving
1: and that's good not just that because my hero when i started out was vladishvatel okay and i looked at all the designers who were popular when I was starting out. Some <laughs> of them are still popular. You're, you're
0: talking about the, the same designer of Mage Knight and code names. I mean, yes.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I, I tend to say it uh, and Galaxy Trucker and Through the ages.
0: I no, not know, but like and, they're completely different. Like it's crazy.
1: It's crazy. And I worked with the man. Like,
0: yeah.
1: like, luckily in our industry, with the teams I'm working on, there are plenty super smart people around me and yeah. and, and it's bouncy. The. the the obvious insight of one brother is incomparable. It's like he points out a problem. I use my super fast brain to immediately give out a possible solution. Halfway through my sentence, he says, That's not what I was thinking because. And then at that moment, you realize what he's going to say, and he's obviously correct. <laughs> And, like, I've had the pleasure to work with him on one and a half expansion for Tashkalar, my other favorite game. It, yeah. Yes, I do it on purpose. I design expansions for my favorite games. And then I go to the publisher saying, could you publish it? Yeah. One of them so far has said no. That man I will be forever mad at for that. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> but anyway, hey, David, and it's interesting, I want to say also at the same time, how you incorporate the setting, as you're calling the theme, uh, and to the mechanics. And that way, if you don't have the... Uh, the narrative, like I'm looking forward now with perseverance to, to try it. Uh, that, but if, that I you don't, don't...
1: want to take credit on that because I didn't know that. Uh, uh, by settlers, great game, super love it. Has no narrative; it's as generic narrative as they come. Mm. Uh, but Venice, the actions,
0: but like you were saying, the mechanics and the action, yes, takes they make you there. sense to the setting. Yeah. Yes, yeah,
1: but they don't have the full narrative immersion. That I learned from the guys at Mind Clash, because I saw how they turned an acronym from a time-throwing startup to that. Mm-hmm. And I saw how it sharpened Perseverance, yeah. and I learned it from Mighty Boards, because David Kirchhoff came up with Petricor, mm-hmm. and Gordon the came up with the setting for, for with the narrative and the setting for Excavation Earth, And mm-hmm. because he tends to work on the, the more story-driven games, and I'm not involved on those, but he was my boss, the developer on Excavation Earth. And while at the beginning of the project, I was all about, no, 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 don't touch my perfect mechanisms. When he touched them and made them narrative, the mechanism started working better. Mm-hmm. So, And today, I am working with people like Simona Luciani or, 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 or some others I can't yet name more, mm-hmm. And I'm the narrative guy to them, <laughs> and I didn't. Inv- and and they come and they, and brilliant mechanisms. It's like yeah, and it's crazy. So I didn't come up with this idea. I learned it from Victor Peter Aman, the uh, and uh, David Kirchhoff and Gordon Kalaher. Oh, it seems like I am the theme guy because I work with the greatest theme guys. I know in the Euro game market. Sure, RPGs, dungeon crawlers, whatever. I'm sure you can build a more immersive world. Mm -hmm. But I am looking for structurally interesting Euros. Yeah. And very few people know how to build a theme out of that. That's true. How to build a proper narrative out of that.
0: And talking about themes, as we're reaching there the the ending of the episode because, of course, we could keep talking for eight hours oh, about I, here. I will literally never stop. <laughs> no, but you have to hang up on me. No, no. As we're reaching the end of the interview. I wanted to ask you, is there any particular, as you call it, not theme, I'm not going to call it theme, is there any particular setting, we talk about the unicorns, so that we know about that, but is there any particular setting that you haven't applied to games and that you're looking forward to? Like any particular... I don't know genre from a movie, or 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 when you used to play video games, like a genre from a video game. Any particular thing that you that you think you you know that you're looking for in the future, developing the game.
1: I mean, if anybody has a spare Mass Effect or Stargate SG one, or <laughs> Babylon Five IP, then please call me tomorrow. There you go. But uh, other than that, like like, either somebody brings a game core to me and then I get excited about that game core and bring it to blossom mm-hmm. or I have a mechanism and then I try to find a setting that makes sense for that mechanism so right now I'm sitting at a um, sleeper ship going super slow in space uh, colonizing planet or not quite, like charting planets and mm-hmm. you have to wake up your workers and make sure that they don't get killed by solar radiation yeah but I don't care about the theme. I picked this theme because the way my worker mechanisms work, the solar radiation and the super slow ship makes sense. But I also get excited about product. Okay. So, you know, generic space empire builder is not an exciting theme. Okay. But the product of Voidfall is so exciting that I immerse in myself into it.
0: Okay. Is- and
1: And... And, and that, that is, that's more of a publisher job than a designer job to come up with an exciting product.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there also. any setting or theme that you will never like to be a part of it? Like, uh, I don't know, like, for example, I, I will try an example to, to give you a better idea. There are some players that they say, like, I don't need any other Cthulhu game. I don't need any any other H, HP crap games because there's what? a lot of them out there. Is there any what? particular setting or theme that you will be like, ah, I, I'm not interested at all?
1: What story can I tell in the cthulhu universe that the people playing in it don't haven't done better mm-hmm. i have both with the cosmic void-born entity we've already revealed in the first post both voidfall and one other project that is i'm not not Clash. one other project that i'm not yet advanced enough to say sure. more about it uh-huh. have inspirations from the genre of cosmic horror as in yeah. monsters from somewhere else <laughs> but they are not not like anyone calling Void for a Cthulhu game is like obviously completely wrong about everything Yeah. so because the story we are telling in Void for the story I want to tell in that other game I can't yet talk about those are made more interesting by this unspeakable enemy Okay. but that doesn't make it into a Cthulhu story so <laughs> um
0: but you don't have a particular setting that you don't actually w- that you wouldn't like to be a part uh
1: as we've talked about the, the the year of self-discovery and understanding coming mm-hmm. from yesterday's movie and and some uh stuff that happened in in, in my public life that people must have read about mm-hmm. um obviously the discussion of how do you do colonization like games okay does come up mm-hmm. and uh and the more I educate, the more I absorb on the matter. I can't thank Fka enough to make a video where he explained the problem of colonization from a European perspective. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. He said Lithuania got colonized, here is why it's terrible. Yeah. And 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 us Europeans understand that whatever oppression is happening in mm-hmm. Other parts of the world, yeah. or have been happening for hundreds of years, is terrible, but we can't imagine it.
0: Yeah, exactly. But
1: when Afka says that Lithuania was uh, uh, colonized by the Soviets, I'm like, "Ha, huh, that's what happened to Hungary." I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> so it, 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 like it. So after that, there was a point. Endeavor Age of Sail is one of my favorite games. Okay. Jared Gray, the designer, is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I have long been hounding him, please let's design a sequel to Endeavor together. <laughs> we even got as far as made a working prototype, but it was like twice as heavy as Endeavor and the publisher went, you guys are insane. Yeah. And I went to Jared saying, Jared, your job was to keep me in checks. Why did you encourage me to make it even heavier? <laughs> and while we were sitting down to take a second crack at it, we both got to a point where we went, I know we've been trying to check lip service to, oh, you're not the colonizing powers, you're the local entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We're still telling a story of colonization here and it's not cool. It doesn't feel good. It's not our story. Even if we put a picture of a a uh, Southeast Asian uh, Mm -hmm. trader on it, that just means it's further down the chain of exploitation. Yeah. It's it's how can we tell a story of something being colonized while without making it yeah. into a colonization-themed game? Yeah. And and I'm not going to say more because the game is not yet working. Sure, sure, but sure. We found a narrative who, that, Th- that, that that it will work. That, it will work. That that explains to me. Colonization, like Lithuania did, like <laughs> it's like, yeah, without making the players the bad guys, without yeah. like, without being this edgy, you're the bad guy thing. So yeah, so
0: well, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to so, discovering with time.
1: So you know? I am not interested in telling stories that either others are better suited telling, okay, or the easy story to tell has been done to death, and even if you don't think it's hurtful it's definitely boring.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I want to, I mean, perseverance, come on. The story is that you're building a city on a mysterious island and mm-hmm. episode one, we had these awesome mechanisms of the dinos attacking the town. But by the time, before, like in episode two, you go out and you push back into the jungle and occasionally kill slash capture them, hmm In episode three, you're still occasionally fight the dinos, but there's no game mechanism that ends with the dino dying. Not because we are suddenly became tree hugger, woke (laughs) self-editors. No, it's a more interesting story to tell. Yeah. So, so because this is no longer the story about the 2,000 survivors colonizing this barbarian, stupid island. Yeah. This uh, they, they came, they got frightened by the island, they fought back. Yeah. Then they pushed out, and as they pushed out, they discovered things, and they learned from those things, and then instead of saying, all right, let's just kill them all then, they went, we've learned from it. Maybe this can better us. Yeah. And because of that, episode 3 no longer feels like a colonization game because it's not a story of a colonization of of uh,
0: i kind of i kind of want to tell you don't spoil me anymore because i'm already on <laughs> wanting to play
1: it <laughs> so no, i'm never gonna say what's happening in episode 4 that's like anyone yeah. that knows anything about episode 4 dies the next day in, so now process.
0: that we're talking about we talk a lot about perseverance so tell us about your uh, future projects what are you where are the future kickstarters well, that you are no, allowed for, to say and... no no
1: no i i don't even know what's kickstarter these days anymore i <laughs> <laughs> so like I just had to kickstart this finish uh, Railways of the World solo expansion mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Vengeance Roll and Fight which is uh, re-implementation of Gordon's yeah, Vengeance I, that, that's that's the box. next
0: episode actually next episode I'm going to talk about Vengeance Roll and Fight so yeah I hope you love it yeah
1: and, and and it was super fun for me because my girlfriend Darly, who can beat me at every game ever yeah. has the bad habit of occasionally dropping uh, mm-hmm mechanism nugget on my table and mm-hmm. and after i suffered three days for Roland fight she dropped mm-hmm. two 20-minute chats on my table that just finished the game so <laughs> hence why she's a co-designer on it and hopefully she'll be a co-designer on a few more future projects
0: fantastic fantastic game yeah.
1: but <laughs> right now the the big thing is imperium imperium Imper- classics and imperium legends okay it just it's not a kickstarter it's a retail game it just started shipping to pre-orders and whatnot, and I'm sorry to all the Europeans or Canadians that are lagging behind because Brexit is messing up Osprey's ability to get boxes into anywhere other than America, (laughs) and uh, it's very important to say that that's Nigel Buckles' game. I originally joined the team as a developer slash solo consultant for him four, five years ago. And when uh, and, and Dice was hesitating whether to make it into a Kickstarter game or a not Kickstarter game. And during this hesitation, it kind of fell between the two chairs. So they canceled the project, gave the rights back, and they allowed me to continue working on my own time. Okay. And uh, and Nigel, being the loveliest person he is, gracefully allowed me. And Nice like there has been a couple of like focused mechanism improvements that I showed him early on. And those are all now core to the game. But when the, uh, when the board and I stopped the project three, two, year, two, two years ago, then there was six finished and two under construction civilizations in the game. Today in the published game, there's 16. Okay. So as you can see, we've been busy. Yeah. You guys are very uh, busy. And I, and Nigel is the best example of teacher man to fish. Okay. Every genius idea he comes up with, the way we work is that I challenge him to meet my demands. Okay. And then he comes up with an idea and I said, it's really good, but it doesn't meet that demand of mine and that (laughs) demand of mine. Can you make it better? Yeah. And then he does. And uh, the solo mode of Imperium is a perfect example for it. I scribbled down a rough note to him how to lay out the cards, how to do it and he came back with that bot chart that is essentially after a few balanced tweaks is in the published game. Okay. And now everybody on 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 socials are saying that it's the smoothest, most interactive, most meaningful solo deck builder ever, they've ever played. And I'm like, no, I just challenged Nigel to not make the solo game worse than the multiplayer. <laughs> and 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 he lived up to it. And because the core game was genius and I managed to make it a bit better, yeah. People are in all of it, and this is the same Nigel who is the lead designer of Voidfall. Yeah. So you are in for a treat.
0: Yeah, so, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to try that one. I actually see it a lot. I've been listening. I've been seeing it. Bear said a lot, especially on Facebook about the game
1: Imperium.
0: Yeah, yeah, Imperium. And I'm looking forward to 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 try that one. Any other one that is upcoming? Um, I know you're working in a lot of stuff, and it's probably yes, a lot of stuff but, that you're but, not allowed to say yet.
1: Uh, Board and has already announced the expansion for Tekenu. Tekenu. Okay. Seth. That okay. Was my last autumn. Um It's just in the past half year, Perseverance and voice 4 has taken up a lot of my time and we haven't... Since we've announced Perseverance four years ago, it doesn't feel like a new project <laughs> anymore. Uh, and there has been one or two or three projects over the last seven months that are, didn't mm-hmm. end in worthy to talk about states. So that's mm-hmm. why it feels that right now I have nothing to announce Yeah. because the other six things I'm working on that aren't... Mind Clash or 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 expansions for my games are still in the design to development phase as opposed to the publisher making them pretty phase no but i feel so, i
0: feel like I feel like now as a as a and I mean this in a very good way I feel like now I would like to share with all of you amazing listeners that. We just have to stay tuned literally like every month to Kickstarter because every every time oh, we see like a David no, tercy a David tercy David Tercy So we just have to be we just have to be trying to
1: catch Don't David. Don't conflate here. my solo modes to my designs. No. Okay. Solo mode means that I consulted or helped or drafted uh, opponent simulation onto an existing game. Yeah. If just because you like my kind of thinking that doesn't mean you like every game I've ever made a solo mode for. So this is one of the many reasons why it's important for me to separate my designs and my solo modes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I design solo modes for games that I would have loved to design myself, like many to carry et cetera. But sometimes I design solo modes for games that are completely unlike anything I would design. So I,
0: I, I, I would assume like Sierra West, which by the way, Sierra West, I really like, I really like the solo mode. I really like the game. But I mean, I, I can tell, and I I could be wrong, David. As as we're wrapping up, but I can tell that that's not a game that David Terse would have designed. But Journey the Pack but the Solomon re-
1: Johnny Pack is super smart, and yeah. and he's gotten even better since. Yeah. But he and I were looking for very different things from CR West, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and 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 the publisher was looking for a third thing, and. That dissonance, I think, is felt. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and I know that my personality was probably a bit too much for Journey back on that, but I hold no grudges against him, and I love the man, and I love many of his designs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we evolve. The, yeah. Again, yeah. The, the, yeah. there is nothing wrong with it. We just couldn't agree which direction to make it better into.
0: Well, let me tell I you that
1: lem- it, I, I wanted to turn it into something similar to what Ethereum yeah. does, but with a cool spatial puzzle. Charlie mm-hmm. Peck wanted to enhance the spatial puzzle as much and as relevant as mm-hmm. possible, and the publisher wanted a nice Western-themed, medium-light, medium, light, medium mm-hmm. not heavy deck builder where you move pretty people. Meepo- like it's like. Are we lightening it? Are we heavying it? Are we spatialing it? <laughs> it was not obvious what we wanted with that. So yes, some projects don't go perfect. But let
0: me say that uh, Sierra West, I, I, I dare to say that I enjoy it. Uh, I mean Johnny Pack, I have tried some of his games and they're they're very fun and, and they're great, uh, lovely designs like you mentioned. Um, but uh, particularly Sierra West, I do I did enjoy it more solo versus competitive. Uh, I think it was, I, I think it was smooth, I think it was clever I think it was solid, uh, and I actually enjoyed it, uh, but anyway David
1: Because, because the, the, the great, just to give you another compliment the great sure. strength of the game was solving your own puzzle yeah. and in the solo game you don't have to do anything other than solve your own puzzle mm-hmm. whereas in the two player game you solve your own puzzle and then the other guy does something <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. so yeah, so Roll and Fight um, at Railways of the World Imperium is already available in retail, Voidfall coming on Kickstarter in the fall, and last year I had a game called Defense of Procyon 3 on Kickstarter, which is going to ship to backers in one or two months, and uh, you ain't seen nothing yet.
0: Okay. When that's... it
1: comes out, you want to talk to me.
0: Yeah, I, I will talk to you again, I promise it you. a
1: little bit under the radar for various I hope... publisher and marketing reasons, uh-huh. but like I always say I'm not the theme guy and I'm not the product guy. Mm -hmm. I did everything on that game. Obviously, I didn't draw the pretty pictures because I can't draw, but I literally told the artist what to draw. I literally told the graphic designer where to put the circles. I wrote the rule book. I did everything. The solo mode was played by John, so I still didn't play the solo, Mm -hmm. but it's four asymmetric, individual, not too heavy, card Euro games, like, here's a rulebook for you, here's a rulebook for you, completely different games, yeah. that power an epic, space, barely random... No, I don't want to say war game, because that conjures images mm-hmm. that aren't true, conflict euro on the board. Yeah, The game is played at most 10 turns, usually 6, and it's not like ramping up to fun. It starts at 11 and then okay. goes to 13. So... People who like my kind of insanity ain't seen
0: nothing yet. <laughs> well, I'm I'm so, excited, and I'm pretty depends sure. Depends Three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, Amazing listeners, you also are excited to hear that from David. Uh, David, this is the second time that you and I we we interact. The first one was on Gen Con 2019 uh, when I interview you, actually doing a live streaming on through Facebook uh, for Solo BG. Uh, it was to for. Welcome to Dino War, I think it was on the... Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I, My
1: first Roland ride. Yeah. No, things have gone since Roman Roll and Roland Five. Fight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I remember... What's next? I remember meeting, <laughs> you in, meeting you in person over there. And before before we say goodbye, are you going to any convention this year? Gen Con, Essen, something?
1: I am really hopeful that I'm going to get to Gen Con because since it's in September and mm-hmm. even with the very chilled and very relaxed approach the Dutch are taking to the rollout, yeah. I am projected to get vaccinated late July-ish. Okay. So I'm hoping that by September I'll be able to travel.
0: I will give you some hopes uh, because I live here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, ah. So in June the seventh, which today we are recording, my friends, uh, on June the sixth. So by the time that this episode is on air, which is going to be next weekend, uh, this this already this date will be already on the past, just like anachrony. But uh, on June the seventh, uh, the county that Indianapolis belongs, it's, it's called it's named Marion County. And on June the seventh, we're supposed to go uh mask free just because the the numbers for vaccinated people are very high. Very, very high here uh, I, here in the city. So for that, me it's not that gives
1: whether I'm worried to travel or not, it's just I yeah. I don't want to travel anywhere unvaccinated because sure. I don't wanna be, th- be a threat to others. Sure,
0: no, no no and and that's amazing. But this this seems very promising. For then, for yeah. Gen Con times and, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I so,
1: hope hope people won't have residual fear and yeah. and although honestly I have nothing against if people just always wear wore masks at conventions mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. And then we could kill concrud I mean, life. If it is what that it takes. Amazing. I'm
0: I'm with you, man. Like I we should do it. But I, I mean definitely and, and, and I'm and I'm not I'm not saying this in a in, in a way of you know should we wear a mask? Should no wear a mask? No. I'm saying in a way that it's a positive because the numbers of vaccinated people keep going up and, it, and this is something that we will see globally uh, not only in the US not only in, in my country in Mexico not only in, in, in either. Ne- in lamps and pressure like it's going to be something globally and at some point like David said if if the new normal uh, thing will be to I go to conventions is masks, well I will wear masks I don't care I want to be in conventions In fact I would prefer
1: if that was the new normal <laughs> yeah. and I'm not a germophobe or anything it's yeah. just yeah, it's nicer not to worry about to be safe. Coughing for a week after every convention. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: I mean just by the fact that every time that we go to a convention, you have a higher risk to come out with 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 a cough, like you said, simple cough, just because we are was, all together in like a very cloud. I, yeah.
1: I, the throat more so i'm super susceptible to any kind of infection
0: and okay <laughs> david three yeah. things uh, first yes, of all
1: let's end some positive note here. yeah
0: positive notes uh, first of all and foremost thank you so much for for joining us i know this won't be the last time i know their games are coming and we're gonna talk again and that game and that you you tell you told us a lot i'm looking forward to it. i'm very excited and 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 that's the first thing second thing uh you know once again I'm pretty sure, as, as a lot of amazing listeners, uh, that they're, uh, they're here with us. I mean, man, your work helps the hobby a lot, especially in the solo uh, universe. So that's, that's great. And third of all, I'm going to be a little bit selfish here. I want to I wanna, I wanna put a task on the back of your mind when we were talking about settings <laughs> and themes. I think Give that,
1: me an idea that I love yeah. and I can't go to work tomorrow morning because I'm thinking about that. I'll come back and haunt you. I, I, I think... Be careful.
0: I think the perfect theme. I'm, for, I'm, I'm hoping it's gonna be. Character. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think the perfect theme for, or perfect setting for you, will be a very old setting, and I, I say very old, back in the 1960s. Yeah. But that started all the sci-fi genre in the movies, and it's actually one of my favorite uh, movie and books at the same time, uh, and it's a 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, by uh, Arthur 2001 C. Clarke.
1: Space Odyssey is amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if it, really, really if you go through
0: beautiful. the books, if you go through the four books that is there, I feel like that will that will be a perfect setting for David Tercy complex yes, designs.
1: Yes, but who are you and what are you? Wh- how are who are you and what do you want to do to win? Is the mm-hmm. first question of narrative design, and two high co- and this is what we learned on Seribia. Seribia mm-hmm. has an amazing setting. But the concept is so high concept, which is not a bad word, mm-hmm. that the narrative is not obvious. So while I like I love sci-fi, that's what I read, watch, do everything. And I love Space of the Seal I've read all the books. I actually, just the right age that I like 2010, uh, the year we make contact yeah. for like uh, 2001 is beautiful but as yeah. a story the, the
0: year that we make contact is it's the tension by i mean it's not a spoiler yeah. i mean the movies the move the books are, the books are all in the movies also uh which this, the second movie 2010 uh you know i don't i don't think it's a good movie but anyway really? uh, but i absolutely love it it's I mean, one of my all time favorite. but sci-fi the ten, the too. tension of when the crew gets to europa and then they get the message I mean, that it tension, is uh, yes. yeah. Yes. So but, that's but for David that, Tercy.
1: <laughs> but that is a, that's not a strategic narrative. Board games make great, uh, The stories make great narrative if the story is about how do we overcome this strife? Okay. If the story is about experiencing a linear journey with a huge revelation at the end, then that's a meaningful story to be told. It's not a meaningful story to choose. If you were role-playing, your, if you're on a holodeck, on a Star Trek holodeck, mm-hmm. playing your way through 2010, the year we make contact, what's your strategy?
0: we're trying I to love reach the story we're, we're trying to reach europe Europa.
1: But what's the strategy you press <laughs> yeah. forward then you go to europe and then hey, you go there and say what y- should we do and y- then
0: you are the great designer here no <laughs> it's good
1: it's, it's because i go through this every time it's uh-huh. like somebody says well wouldn't it be cool to make a game about this and that and some of those things i love yeah well, what is my strategic journey that i want st- to start out through like where are my choices? What are my strategies in okay.
0: life? We throw the question out there for you, amazing listeners. If if, someone, if, if someone you have yeah, 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 strategies yeah, yeah. in space, so see, I'll
1: make a game out. Of. <laughs> if
0: you happen to listen to Solo BG, if you happen mm-hmm. to like 2001 Spot, Space Odyssey, and or the 2 C. Clarke, uh, you know, uh, saga of book, which there are books, um, and uh, and if you happen to like David Turner's game, and if you want to happen to help, you know, with this question out there reach us through uh, SoloBG Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and also to our email, solobgpodcast at gmail.com, or you can always find David Turcy. David Turcy, can you share your social media to the amazing listeners? Where they can find you? D- D-
1: David Turcy.
0: David Turcy. You see? Man, every day we learn... And I, and I always say... I say it wrong. I really... David Turcy. Okay, great. Where they can find you? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram?
1: Not Twitter, Facebook, and Borgenic. I I reply to geek mails only all i ask is that if you're gonna send me a rule question then please check the forum or better yet just post it there because i see those two and mm-hmm. at least then the next guy won't ask the same thing
0: all right david i really appreciate your time with us we will do it again uh you know thanks once again and to you amazing listeners like always remember
1: for victory go tell your friends
0: till next time through you to see you through a speaker and at the tabletop.